we have been working our way through the book of Romans, and last week we did Romans chapter 6, the very first part of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and in there we have uh, Romans 6, 3, and 4, and this is perhaps the passage on baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, there are lots and lots of passages in the New Testament about baptism, but it seems that every time there is a baptism or we're talking about baptism, that is the one that we point to. And because of that, and because there tends to be a lot of confusion about baptism, we thought we'd take a, a break and just spend a week talking just about baptism, right? Last week we did all of verses 1 through 6, um, and so that covered baptism in part, but was mostly focused on what does it mean to be united with Christ. And so let's this morning just talk about what is baptism? Because I, I think, and I think this based on my own experience growing up in the church, that there's a lot of confusion about what baptism is and why we do it and what it means. And so let's, let's just start with the, the word itself. Baptism. It, it's not the kind of word that you use every day. Right. I mean, if you're in the church, then you might talk about it. But if you're if you're out on the street talking with somebody, you rarely bring it up. Right. And you rarely bring it up because do you really know what that word means? Baptism, baptize. The, the reason that there's confusion about this and it frustrates me no end that there's confusion about this. It's because of the translators. Right. The, the Bible was not originally written in English. Uh, sorry to burst that bubble for some of you, but but it was it was written before English and uh, in Greek, and the word was baptizo. That was the word that they used. And the translators in every just about every English translation are so lazy that they don't bother to translate this word. They just write baptizo, or in the English baptism, baptism. And so we just transferred this Greek word into English, and that didn't help us understand what that word meant anymore. But if you look at what does this word mean, it, it means to dip or to dunk or to immerse. And so when we're reading this, you, you could read, and it was dunked. Every time you come across a, a baptism, there was a dunking. And so we have John the Dunker. And if you go to uh, Greece and you ask them uh, at a Dairy Queen in Greece for your cone to be baptized, they're not going to take out chocolate sprinkles and put them on top, and they're not going to drizzle chocolate on top, but they will dip your cone, because that's what the word means, baptism. And so hopefully that cleared everything up and we can all go home now, right? <laughs> but, but why do we do baptism? Where did that come from? And the first place that we see it in Scripture, as we talk about it and do it now, is John the Baptist. So at the beginning, and in fact, it is so important that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about John the Baptist doing baptisms. 
And so I want to just take two of them. I, I thought about doing all four, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their accounts are so similar that I decided I'd just take one of them. And so we're going to look at Luke and we're going to look at John. And in Luke chapter 3, it says uh, at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 3, we're given some dates and some times and stuff, which uh, you can look at later for your trivia purposes. But in verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so what we have is we have John the Baptist out by the Jordan River in a place that is wildernessy and uh, he is proclaiming that God is coming. Prepare, repent and make way for the Lord is coming. And then in verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And at the beginning of all four Gospels, this is what we have. We have John the Baptist proclaiming to people, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we have Jesus come and Jesus is baptized and his ministry begins. John is telling people, look, God is here. You have to repent. You sinful people, you have to turn away from your sin, confess your sin, repent of your sin, that is turn away from it and be baptized into something new. Be baptized into something new. And so all of these people were coming to him, even though he was out in the wilderness by, by the Jordan River, they were coming out to him and they were going, baptize me, baptize me too. And then Jesus comes and is baptized, and when this happens, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven which proclaims, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. John, the, the book of John, uh, this, he makes this even more clear as he expands the story a little bit. So in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, it says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Right? They're, they're hearing things that, that this weirdo is out by the Jordan River in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people, and he's proclaiming these things about repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, and they're going, Who, what is this guy? And so they send representatives to go, and they asked him, who are you? And in verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, 
I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That this is the Son of God. Baptism was this marker that that John was using for, for people to identify, yes, I am repenting of my sin and turning to God. That was what John was doing. He was saying, prepare your hearts, prepare the way for the Lord is coming, and so be baptized as a way of demonstrating your repentance. And these people were coming and they were being baptized and they were saying, yes, I repent of my sin and I am identifying, I'm giving myself to God. And Jesus comes and it comes to be baptized and John sees this and goes, this is him. This is the one that I've been telling you about. This is the guy that I've been preparing you for. And so in all four gospel accounts, we have Jesus being baptized by John as a way of identifying that He is the one. But unlike all the others who were saying, I am dedicating myself to God, I am repenting and dedicating myself to God, I am repenting and dedicating myself to God, I am preparing the way for the Lord, instead when Jesus is baptized and He arises out of the water, it is the voice of God who is declaring, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. It was an identification of who Jesus was as He came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit rested on Him so that all would know this is the One who was to come. This is the One that John has been pointing us to, uh, preparing us for. And then after this, we see uh, the ministry of baptism continue. Right After this point, the ministry starts to shift. John the Baptist has come to prepare the way, and now Jesus, his ministry begins to rise as John's begins to diminish. And we see this, this same um, message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, th- throughout, after, uh, in the book of Matthew, after John comes, and now Jesus is baptized, then he takes up the same chorus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in John, he puts it this way, John 3 Uh, 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. 
John was also baptizing at uh, Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And when they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this is my joy and it is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure, and the Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's kind of a long section there, but what's happening is, is that ministry is being handed over. And, and John is saying, look, I know. I know that people are starting to go from me to him, and that's exactly as it should be. It's exactly as it should be. Because he is the one. He is the one who brings the presence of God. He is the one who reconciles people to God. He's the one who brings forgiveness of sins. He's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's the one. And so it is appropriate for everybody to go to him. And what you see then is that Jesus' ministry rises, right, as he goes and teaches and he explains to people about the kingdom of God and what's going on. And people begin to see who this teacher, this prophet, this really incredible, amazing man is. And they're listening to him and they're going, this guy's awesome. Look at the things that he does. Listen to the things that he says. This is unlike anyone we have ever seen or heard before. And Jesus begins to tell them toward the end of his ministry, look, guys, I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise again from the dead. And the disciples didn't understand what he was talking about. He said, look, guys, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. This is how the forgiveness of sins is accomplished. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are confused and they don't get it until it happens. And then they went, oh, you had to die and then rise again like that. But they didn't get that until afterwards as Jesus is explaining it to them. And he's going, look, guys, I've risen from the dead. They're going, it was so confusing, Jesus. It was so confusing. Because we thought you were the one that had come to save God's people. And then you died. And Jesus goes, yeah, remember how I told you that was what was going to happen to fulfill the scriptures? And they went, yeah, we didn't really get that before. And then you were died and you were gone. And Jesus goes, but now I'm back again. I rose from the dead and sin and death is done. And they went, Oh, 
Hey, you mean you died? Now sin and death is done? Yeah. So our sins are forgiven because you died and rose again from the dead. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It is pretty cool. Now, here's what your job is. Go and tell everybody. And so in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what you're to do, guys. I came to tell people that God's love has been given to them and through my sacrifice and God's grace, they can be forgiven of their sins and I came to accomplish the work and now your job is to go out and to tell them and to baptize them. Look at how tightly those two things are linked. Just like from the beginning when John started talking about it, it was repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. Because it was this physical way of demonstrating that, yes, this is what I believe. I am repenting. I'm turning away from my sin. And I am giving myself to God. And I am being baptized. And so that's what the disciples do. In in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and it lands on them. And their ministry begins. And it begins with Peter giving an incredible sermon. Which I would read to you. Because I like it so much, but I don't have time because I'm preaching my own sermon right now. And so you're going to have to go home and read that for context. But this is how it ends. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Wasn't that a great sermon? At the end of the sermon, they were cut to the heart because of the stuff he had said. You really should go read what the rest of it was. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what then shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so... Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. About 3,000 people heard Peter's sermon. Heard the words about who Jesus was and what he had done and repented of their sins and were baptized. And saying, yep, I believe that. Count me in. I believe that. Count me in. And what you see as you continue on through the book of Acts is over and over and over and over again, they are proclaiming this message and they're talking about this message and they're teaching this message and they're having conversations with people and explaining the good news that Jesus died for their sins and rose again from the dead. And the immediate response afterwards is that they are baptized. You see this in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans and an Ethiopian where uh, Philip is talking with them. 
You see this with Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 17, and eight, uh, 17, 18, and 19, and then recounted again as he's explaining his own testimony in Acts chapter 22. You see it in, in Acts 10, 44 through 49 with Cornelius and other Gentiles. You see it in Acts 16, 15 with Lydia's household at Philippi. You see it at at Acts 16.33 with the jailer at Philippi. And you see it in Acts 18.8 with many Corinthians. And again in Acts 19 verse 5 with those at Ephesus. The disciples would go out, they would proclaim it, and then people would be baptized. They would believe, they would repent, they would be baptized. They would believe, they would repent, they would be baptized. Over and over and over again, this is the pattern. And in fact, it was this that convinced me that, hey... You know what? You're supposed to be baptized when you believe. That seems like a no-brainer. When you're reading through the book of Acts and you're seeing the way that baptism is used in the, in the uh, Gospels with John, you read along and you see this and you go, yeah, of course it is. But I didn't grow up in that kind of a tradition. I grew up in a tradition where uh, infants were taken and somebody sprinkled water on them and they were, that was called baptized. I hung on to that. I had people over and over again go- going, you know that's not really baptism, right? You were dedicated as a baby. I went, no, 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 no. I was baptized. They told me, baptized. I was baptized. I was baptized as an infant. I believe it now, but back then I was baptized as an infant. And others of you may have also grown up in that tradition. It took me a long time to let go of that because I'm a stubborn guy. You want to know how long? I was baptized as an infant, so that's a long time ago. And in college, I was uh, working in Christian college ministry, and people were telling me this, and I went, eh, no. And then in seminary, people were explaining it to me some more, and I was wrestling with it and beginning to go, you know, maybe. But it wasn't until I had graduated from seminary and was 26 years old and was getting ready to pastor a church that I went, you know what, really, that is the biblical pattern. You believe and then are baptized. And so I was baptized right here at 26 years old. Because I was stubborn and I held on to it. But then when I began to read it and study it and and humbly say, my story's wrong. I began to let go of that. And say, you know, that was a baby dedication. And we've had a couple of baby dedications in the last few weeks. And they're wonderful for the parents to dedicate themselves to the Lord in the raising of their child. But it's not for the child as much as for the parents. And even if you uh, take this baby dedication and you throw some water into the mix, it's not baptism. Because... We don't just take infants and plunge them under the water and bring them back up again. Because it's not a fun thing to do with them. (laughs) All of that to say, when we begin to look at what the scriptures teach and how, how you do it, 
over and over and over again, whether you're looking at the word itself and the definition of baptism or you're looking at the biblical pattern, what we see over and over again is that they believe and are baptized. They believe and are baptized. They believe and are baptized. It becomes so closely connected that there are times in the epistles, in the letters of Paul, where he's writing and he says, don't you know you were baptized? And what he means is saved, but he uses baptized right there. Because the two are so closely linked. It's not that you were saved by the baptism, but that the two were so closely tied together that he could say baptized and you would understand what he meant was that you believed and were saved. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is going to Ephesus and he's uh, talking with people there. In Acts 19 it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when when you believed? They said, No, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. He said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were 12 men in all. Hey, Paul came to them and and said, so, is the Holy Spirit with you? And they went, what are you talking about? What what do you mean the, the Holy Spirit? Is he with us? Who is that? And Paul went, time out. I thought you said you were baptized. What kind of baptism did you get? The John one. We didn't know there was a different kind, just the John one. And he oh, you didn't know about the Jesus baptism? No, we didn't know about the Jesus baptism. What's that? Well, you know, when John did the baptism, it was to repent. It was a baptism of repentance for the repentance of sin. No, yeah, of course it was. And to point it forward to somebody who was to come. Sure, that's Jesus. Awesome! Can we get that one? Yeah! Of course you can. And so he takes them and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. They had been baptized for the sake of repentance, but now they're baptized not only just for repentance, but to identify with Jesus. Yes, we believe that Jesus is our Savior. And they get the the Holy Spirit then. We see uh, all kinds of different ways that baptism is used, that, that we can understand what's happening to us. So th- here he's talking about the baptism of repentance. Later they, in uh, Peter, it talks about the baptism of cleansing. In Peter, 1 Peter 3.21, it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, sorry, which corresponds to uh, the flood, the, the time of Noah, right, when the world was so wicked and so evil that God said, I'm going to just wipe out the whole thing and destroy it with a flood. Except Noah and his family, I'm going to put them in an ark. And so the whole world is going to get flooded. We're going to wash away all the sins of the whole world. And we're just going to save these few 
through that. Now he says baptism, which corresponds to that flood, that that flood was sort of a baptism of the world of sorts. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Where did it go? That's really anticlimactic. Here it is. I found it. I'm going to start over. Sorry about that. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. It is is the cleansing the cleansing, not, not, the, not like a bath cleaning you from dirt, but, but a baptism that, that cleanses you. That you might have a clear conscience before the Lord because your, your sins have been removed. There's a, the baptism is, is described as being a unity with Christ. And we see this in Colossians uh, chapter 2, which we read, if you were in here when we started the service, you read that with us. If you were out talking in the lobby, maybe next time. <laughs> You'll come in and re- that was mean. I'm sorry. I love that you love one another. Colossians chapter two, verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. And what he's saying is, look, this is spiritually what happened. Baptism represents this. It shows us this. You were baptized into Christ, but it was Christ's death and resurrection that took care of the sin. He nailed that sin to the cross and did away with it. And listen to this. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus won. Jesus won. And so you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him by forgiving us all our trespasses. Because we have been buried with him in baptism in which we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You can see here that baptism is the picture, but what's actually happening is the belief, right? In which you were raised with him through faith 
in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It is something that you have believed and clung to, and the baptism is a a picture that goes hand in hand with the belief. We have that baptism is a unity and identification, not just with Christ, not just, hey, I want to repent of my sin and be united with God, but also a unity with His people because we have all done this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Then again in Galatians chapter 3, 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized, see how he ties those two together so closely in verse 26 and 27. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Not through baptism, through faith you are sons of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He, he links those two together. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Remember way back when Abraham was promised by God, your offspring will come and through them will everyone be blessed. And he's linking that now to Jesus and saying, Jesus is the blessing by which all nations can be blessed. As we are united with one another, there's no distinction from between us that is significant in any way once it comes to our belief in Christ. We were all baptized into Him. We are all united in Him. And so whatever else there might be that distinguishes us or might come between us, none of that matters because we are united together in Christ. We have been baptized into this. This then is also what we see in Romans chapter 6. Nope, I don't want to get to Romans chapter 6 first. I want to do Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit as is the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are united together because we are united with Him in a new kind of life. It's a new life. Distinct from what was before. Because we have repented and turned away from what was before. We have believed in Him. We have been united with Him. In baptism, we have been united with Him and with one another. So that we have a new kind of life, which is why when you get to Romans chapter 6, which we looked at last week, it says, 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And I'm afraid that what I did last week was I challenged about this rather than encouraged about this. What I mean is I'm afraid that some of you walked away feeling like, oh, because I have believed and been baptized, I have to have a new kind of life. And what I intended to bring across from this is because we have believed and been baptized and repented of our sin, we do have a new kind of life. The Holy Spirit is at work within us. We are united to one another. We are united to God. And we do have a new kind of life. This is not the kind of thing where you go, oh man, this is so much work. This is so hard. I am so discouraged because I keep seeing sin in my life. Instead, what we recognize is that God's power has, has triumphed over all of that. Remember, Christ took the nail, pow, nailed it to the cross. Rules over all rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame by triumphing over them. Boom, it's done. For we have been, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has been set free from sin. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, you've been set free from sin. But I still struggle with sin. That's okay, you've been set free. It no longer has hold on you. It no longer has control over you. It no longer has authority over you. You've been set free. Praise God for that. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. And so also we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is the hope that we have. That the sin that separated us from God, that had mastery over us, no longer does. It may be there, it may crop up, but it has no power or control. It has no authority or right. And so we confess it. And we believe that we have been united with Christ, so all of that is done away with. So we can be here with one another, rejoicing in the great things that God has done, encouraging one another, and saying, isn't God amazing? 
that he has given us this kind of new life. We are a transformed people. Where else are you going to go? Anywhere in the world where people who are completely different from one another might be united despite whatever other differences they might have. The example he uses are Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, men and women. All of them united together in Christ. So we might look at one another and go, you look kind of weird and you're very different than me. But we both believe in Christ and so we're united. And whatever else there might be between us, this is the same. Nothing else really matters because we are united in Christ. If you are here this morning and you have not been baptized, I would love to talk with you about baptism after the service. I'd love to talk with you about why we might be baptized and when we could do that for you. And if you have been united with Christ through belief and baptism, I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And uh, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are our God who has loved us. And Lord, how great that you have sent your Son to die for our sins and rise again from the dead to conquer sin and death. And that we might participate in that death and resurrection by being united with him in baptism and belief. And so, Father, I ask this morning, would you help us to cling to that? to the hope that we have one God, one Savior, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. And because of that have been set free from our sin and united with you and united with your people. And it is for these things that we praise you now in the great name of Jesus. Amen.